Monday edition. Wow, coming off a great weekend of basketball. So good to have a pod today. How's your morning going, bro? It's great. I can't believe what I saw this weekend. Unbelievable NBA postseason action. We are getting so blessed with live sports. Everything that's come back has been amazing. And so I'm just grateful that even though it's the bubble and the situations are different, the environments are different, the teams have come out to play other than the Sixers and the Nets. But the Nets obviously don't have a ton of talent. They were they were overmatched in that series, so I don't really blame them for that. However, the Sixers are – it's inexcusable, and we're going to get into that later. But how about your – how's your morning? It's going good, man. Yeah, for me, I didn't think it was a big deal with the seeding games being in the bubble not having the fans, and I wasn't sure how it was going to impact playoff games. And there's been certain scenarios like in the first, second, third quarter when you're watching the game where it looks a little bit different. But overall, in the heat of the moment, like in these crutch time games, like when I was watching – OKC and Houston in the playoff game in their third game, I think, on Saturday, watching the Lakers-Portland game in the fourth quarter Saturday, and then watching that infamous, probably now, Mavs-Clippers game. It really wasn't something my eye was drawn to. The basketball has been so high level. The games, for the most part, have been so competitive, at least for the higher seeding games, that it really hasn't been an issue. Like, the NBA has done such a great job with camera angles. The product's been so amazing. I heard someone say, I forget if it was a TNT or ESPN broadcaster, but there was someone saying like, we kind of feel like this is how we should do playoffs more often because the guys are like locked in this environment. They're around each other. It's like, there's nothing to really take your mind off basketball because you're just playing basketball 24 7 you have no you have one rest day you're not flying so I think it's been the absolute success and even from the NBA and from fans that were hoping they were going to work there was nobody in their wildest of dreams that would have guessed it would have been this effective and you just have to give it to Adam Silver and everything the NBA has done to, to make it such a great product over the last month yeah the playoff basketball and the level of intensity, the level of passion, the level of skill that we've seen in the bubble, even in the seeding games, has just been second to none. And I've just been really impressed. I've been impressed by not just the players, but I've been impressed by the NBA and how they've handled this whole situation. Um, it's it's just been one of the more, I think it's going to go down in history as obviously a very weird playoff, not from the standpoint, of course, of the play, but just the the environment and and us not having seen anything like this before. But the way that this has turned out, it's not only been far better than we ever could have imagined, but like you said, the talent level has been on such another level that you're not distracted by the fact that there aren't fans. And I think the crowd noise is way less distracting than I thought it would be. I thought that was going to be kind of an interesting element to watch. The virtual fans is such a cool little feature that they've added in. They've just done an amazing job. And I really just tip my hat to Adam Silver and the NBA and the players. But what a weekend. I was so wrong about Denver and Utah. What an incredible series so far. Donovan Mitchell has, in my opinion, elevated himself to another level. And I I was kind of negative about him, so to say, because I'm not I'm not super high on him as a player. I think he's nice. I think he's a good player. I'm not trying to say that he's not good. I'm just saying I didn't know fully what he was. I thought he was just really athletic and could shoot the three ball. And not that that's a negative, but probably not a guy you're going to build your team around at 6-1. But he's just had a heck of a playoff series with 250-plus games. 
uh, against the Nuggets. And then you got OKC. I'm still crossing my fingers that they're going to claw their way back into this series because I know you picked them or picked you picked uh, Houston and I picked OKC in six. I, I still think that you're going to be right on this one. But hey, if I can get one out of this, I'm happy. And then, of course, the, the Portland and, and the Lakers, LeBron's doing LeBron things, even though even though he's not 25-year-old LeBron at 35, he's still the most dominant player on the floor. Um, and then you, of course, got the game last yesterday afternoon with the Mavs and the Clippers and Lucas Stepback three-game winner at the buzzer in OT, which was incredible. So a lot of a lot of action this weekend. We had a blast watching it. And we're gonna get into the pick of the day, one of our favorite segments of the show. And coming off of talking about the Mavs and Lucas step back, we're gonna talk about Luka Doncic because he deserves it. This is a guy that we've talked about several times already on the show recently. We think he's a top five player. There's just really no dispute at this point. He's 21. Last year, he almost averaged a triple-double as a rookie. He gets Porzingis this year. They're a seventh seed. He's had Porzingis for essentially a game and a half in this series, without, or been without Porzingis a game and a half in this series because he got ejected early in the third quarter in game two, and then he misses yesterday as a late scratch due to a knee injury or knee soreness. And this is a Mavs roster that is far inferior to the Clippers roster. And... When I look at Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, I know Patrick Beverly was out, but you still have guys like Marcus Morris, Montrose Harrell, Lou Williams had 30-plus off the bench yesterday, Reggie Jackson. The Clippers have no excuse Zero. to say Zero excuse. Patrick Beverly was out. He's the eighth most talented guy in your <laughs> Exactly. But I'm just saying, there's some people think that from a defensive standpoint and the energy he brings on the floor, that the impact there is really big for this squad. Or I've seen the excuse that, well, there are just too many guys on the floor. The spacing's bad. They don't gel well together. They don't have good chemistry, which I think there's a lot you could say about that that would be valid. But there's still no excuse because even though you might not have the chemistry yet, you're still so much better offensively and defensively than this Mavericks team that it should override that. And the fact that Luka Doncic last night, let me just, let me just tell you his stat line. 43 points, 17 boards, and 14 assists. He's the youngest player in NBA history to have a 40-point triple-double. He's averaging almost 32 in this series, shooting over, shooting 52% from the field. He's shooting almost 38% from three, 10 and a half rebounds, and almost 10 assists. Okay, He's almost averaging a triple-double in his first playoff series against the best team in the NBA. I know they weren't the one seed, but Kawhi and Paul George load managed over the course of this season. They didn't really care about being the one seat. I feel like if they had, number one, it would have helped their chemistry. They would have gotten to play together a lot more. And then with the long layoff, that would have been huge. But they weren't really concerned with being the one seat. But they're far better than the Lakers in terms, at least on paper, right? Many have picked them to be the NBA champ this year, if not in the next couple of years. Here you have a 21-year-old Luka Doncic without Porzingis lifts this team in overtime over arguably the best team in basketball. And people just dismiss it. They they just go, oh, wow, like Luka's, Luka's arrived. Luka's a great player. But here, here the NBA is shoving Zion Williamson down our throat after 24 games. And look, I love Zion. I really do. I think he's a great kid. I think he's polarizing. 
He is a great brand. He's fun to watch. He obviously makes an impact when he's on the floor. He still has a lot of his game to develop, but athletically, he's he, he can still give you 20 plus a night just based on that. However, Luka Doncic, the moment he stepped on the court as a rookie, almost averaged 22, almost had a, a triple-double last year. Then he goes into his second year. He's an all-star. He, yes, he has Porzingis, but Porzingis was in and out of the lineup this year. And then he, it's the same in this playoff series. And, and I just find myself going, this guy should be the face of the league. And we mentioned why he might not be, because he's not, again, he's not a huge brand. He's a European player, which is, I don't, I can't remember if ever a European player has been the face of the league. Probably never will be. And I just feel sorry for the guy because it doesn't matter what he does. People try to find an excuse. People aren't talking about the Mavs competing night in and night out of this series and evening this series up with Luka's incredible play. They're focusing on how the Clippers aren't performing at the level they should, that Paul George has underperformed. And I heard Paul George come out and say yesterday and make an excuse and say, if I had made if I had made X amount of shots or if I'm dropping 30, then we're winning. This series looks a lot different. When you're a max player, when you're a superstar supposedly in this league, you don't have the airspace to make that excuse. I don't want to hear your, your chirping. You should be dropping what you should be dropping on a night-to-night basis because you're a superstar. There's no excuse. Don't sit here and tell me, well, well, if this was happening, this series would look different. Okay, you're right. If the refs weren't trying to hand this game or this series to the Clippers, this series would look a lot different. So Paul George, you need to get off your high horse because you're not as good as you think you are. I think he's a very talented player. I think he's a top 10 player in the league right now. But the guy acts like it's some external thing that's happening that's keeping him from playing at the high level that he should be playing at. And Luka Doncic is shutting his mouth and showing up night in and night out on a far, far inferior team. So last night, these four players played 30-plus minutes for the Mavericks. Tim Hardaway Jr., 35 minutes. Dorian Finley-Smith who nobody in the world knows who he is, even if they watched the game last night. That's your small, that's your power forward for the Mavs. Dorian Finley-Smith, if his number wasn't on here on Google, letting me know his position and number, I wouldn't know what number the guy is. He played 34 minutes. Maxi Cleveland at center, I don't know who that guy is. Nobody knows who that guy is. And Trey Brook at guard, I only remember him because he dominated for the Final Four at Michigan 10 years ago, and they picked him up from waivers three months ago. Those guys played 30 minutes a night plus last night in a playoff game, Game 3, where a team scored 135 points. Luka had 43 points, 13 assists, and 17 rebounds. Paul George, playoff P, 9-3-8. You have Kawhi Leonard on your roster. You have Marcus Morris. You have Mo Williams, Reggie Jackson, Montrezl Harrell. Like, there's no excuse. I don't care if Patrick Beverly didn't play. Patrick Beverly would have played 48 minutes last night for the Mavericks and been their second best player, and he's barely a rotational player for the Clippers. He's Marcus Smart, but he can't shoot as good as Marcus Smart. Like, he's a rotational defensive piece. The only reason he plays for the Clippers is because your starting lineup has Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, and Paul George. You're not starting for... 
probably any other team in the league besides maybe Houston because they're rolling out Harden and Westbrook and P.J. Tucker and all these three-point shooters. There's like five rosters in the NBA where maybe Patrick Beverly starts on. It's all the top five offensive that have all these options. Like Luka throughout the playoffs, like let's not talk about just last night. So he has 43, 17, and 13 last night. Game three, obviously he had the injury. He's still a triple-double, 13, 10, and 10 with an injury playing 29 minutes. He's still giving you 13, 10, and 10. Playoff triple-double, injured, 21 years old. Worst game, worst playoff game of his career, he has a triple-double. Like, let, let, let that think in. His worst playoff game in his short sample size is a triple-double. Game two, 28, 8, and 7. Game one, 42, 7, and 9 without Perzingis. He's putting up 42 points a night without presenting. It's like people don't realize how hard it is. Like, so there's going to be people on Twitter today saying, well, he got more shots because Brazingis didn't play. Yeah, he also has the whole defense looking at him because there's nobody else who has any offensive talent because you have the other guys I mentioned earlier in the show outside with him. Like, no one's running defensive set sets for Dorian Finley Smith or Maxi Kleber or Trey Burke or Tim Hardaway Jr. All of the defensive attention is on Luka Doncic. Like, you think there was pressure on Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns with the guys he ran out? At least he has seven first-round draft picks because the Suns have been anemic for the past 15 years. Like, he has talent out there. Maybe they haven't developed. But there's nobody. Like, I don't even know if a Dallas Mavericks fan could name that whole roster. I don't know if they could. But yet you have people out here giving the Clippers excuses or they're not running their offense or through Kawhi Leonard Park. Like, what do you mean by running offenses? Like, no one runs these super elaborate sets. So much of the NBA in the half court is pick and roll offense. You run up screens, down screens. Let's not act like we're in the NFL and we're calling a play every single possession. Like you have plays built in that people are running off of movement, but like there's no excuse. Kawhi had 32 points a night. Marcus Morris, for the first time in the series, kind of played to his norm. He still gave you nine points. If you're going to get nine points from Marquise Morris, you should be able to win a playoff game. You had 36 from Lou Williams. You had 14 from Reggie Jackson. The issue is playoff P. I mean, playoff P at some point has to put it together. They don't call you, they don't call you championship Chuck if you don't win no titles. Shout out to my boy Charles Barkley. But yeah, to me, man, I just the level of disrespect we see on Luca at this point. I don't I, there's just not a value valuable argument to make. It's just it's just lazy. And it just makes you look like you don't know the game of basketball. Like, it's just you, it's almost like you just don't want to like Luka because there's players who I may not love watching, or there's players where I might not agree with their agenda either on the court or off the court. Maybe I don't think they're a great teammate or I don't think they're a great leader. Like, for the five, last five or seven years, I haven't thought everything Russell Westbrook does necessarily generates to wins in the playoffs long-term because he's so ball-dominant. But I never take away from the talent of Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook's a generational talent. The dude averaged a triple-double for a whole season. First player since Oscar Robinson. Like, if it's been that long since it's happened and you have that type of feat, you're going to crown him. And so for me, we got to give Luca praise. If no one else is going to do it, we promise you people that we will continue to talk truth about this young man because what he's doing is absolutely remarkable. For me, it's exciting. Like one of the things I was worried about is like, hey, LeBron probably has two years left. Who am I going to watch after that? And at least I know, barring a catastrophic injury, I have Luca for the next 15 years. And as a basketball fan, there's nothing more I could pray for. I need to get you a Luca jersey. 
I have to. It's just got to happen. He's the only guy that makes 77 sexy. Like the fact that you can pull off 77, like an offensive lineman number, starting at left tackle, I mean point guard for the for the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic. It's, it's yeah, awesome. And it's Tyron Smith's number too, so you got it. But I, I thought this was interesting because I was thinking about LeBron James and just watching him over the course of his career. And the thing about LeBron, you can say a lot of things if you want. Obviously, it's it's – there's no dispute that he's arguably the greatest. Some think he's the greatest, but he's he's a great, great basketball player. And the thing about LeBron for his, for the majority of his career is he's made everybody better on the floor. He could have been the most dominant scorer if he wanted to be, but that's just not his game, right? Going back to even that first finals he went to in 2007 with the Cleveland Cavaliers, that team was so bad. Arguably the worst finals team in history. And the fact that he got that team to the finals is a testament to what I'm saying. And the thing with LeBron that I love is that even in this first round against Portland, you're kind of seeing him feel out his team. He Everything he's doing is strategic. There's nothing about LeBron as far as basketball is concerned that is last minute or not thought out. He's, very, he's being very methodical about his process and seeing which guys he's going to be able to count on. Because in this series, even though I think Portland's put up a great fight, this is a team that they know they're better than. And they're going to have to have guys like Alex Caruso or Kyle Kuzma or even getting Rondo back or having guys like Danny Green and Dwight Howard. Those guys need to play pivotal roles in this run. And so he's trying to see who he can trust down the line here. And I look at Luka and he has that same effect that no matter what squad's on the floor, that team's going to be far better with him on the floor than if he wasn't. And that's what's fun. Like you said, who are we going to watch after LeBron? Yeah, you have Giannis. You're still going to have Harden. You're still going to have KD. You're going to have Kyrie. But I look at Luka, and he's a guy that I go, he could carry a bad team in the playoffs. He's, he's doing it right now. Like, don't tell me this Mavericks team is good. They're solid, right? Like, they're a playoff team. But you just rattled off a list of guys, Maxi Kleber. Tim Hardaway Jr., Trey Burke, uh, Finley Smith. These guys are not starters on other teams. They're just not. And the fact that Luke is carrying this team and they're, they've evened up the series, even if they don't win this series, this is a win in his first playoffs. This, is, this isn't like a seasoned vet in the playoffs. This guy's been in the playoffs for the first time in his career, in the second year. So I just think that that is so remarkable. We have to give him the credit because he deserves it. And I, I, again, I think even as we look at Porzingis and we had this conversation off the pod about if they can get one more guy, another wing player, another spacer that can shoot the three, this team's going to be absolutely deadly for the next five to 10 years. So coming up on the podcast today, we are going to talk about Philadelphia and their woes and what this, what being swept by the Celtics means, because I think a lot of people crown them a champion far too early due to the offseason acquisitions of T Tobias Harris. I know that they re-signed Tobias Harris because they traded for him at the end of last year. And they signed out Horford in the offseason. A lot of people thought with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and those two guys that this team was going to either be the one seed or at the top of the East. And they were going to make a deep run in the playoffs. And here they are getting swept in the first round by Boston. So we're going to get into that. And then we're also going to get into... The Earl Thomas situation, he just got released yesterday by the Baltimore Ravens. 
And we're gonna kind of dig, in, dig into some of the details on that as well. So the Philadelphia 76ers got swept yesterday by the Boston Celtics in four games. It's, it's really made me feel for Joel Embiid. I don't think I can remember, at least in his short career, where I felt bad for Joel Embiid, even when Kawhi Leonard hit that game winner in game seven last year to move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. I look at this squad and I feel like this front office is playing 2K. Like they just acquired a bunch of guys with high overall ratings and put them on the floor because in that virtual setting, you're going to probably win a lot of games just because the overalls of those guys are higher than the other computer players. And that's how I feel like they've constructed this squad because none of it makes any sense. You've said it several times. Al Horford makes no sense on this roster. Ben Simmons, I've said this, makes no sense with Joel Embiid. I've never understood the hype around Ben Simmons. He's a guy in a league where you need to be at least a good shooter, is a horrible jump shooter. He doesn't play great after he passes half court. He's a great transition player. He can get to the rack with the best of them. He's an elite defender. I'm not saying that I wouldn't want him on my team. I'm saying in this setting, in this environment, the way this team is constructed, it makes no sense. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a top player in the NBA. I don't think he's a max player. I would still pay him and I would want him on my roster depending on the personnel that I have. But other than that, I'm taking Joel Embiid without batting an eye. I mean, he's an all-time generational talent. Ben Simmons is not in my opinion. Then I look at a guy like Tobias Harris, who was a solid piece. Did He played really well with, with the Clippers through half of the season last year. The Sixers acquire him. And I thought, okay, I like the move here. I don't think he's a horrible fit because of the way that he plays. I don't think that he takes away space from Joel Embiid, but both, but both Simmons and Al Horford do. And so, like I looked, I even looked at this team, like Shake Melton had a really solid series. I don't think he's a starting point guard in this league, but I thought they the spacing on the floor looked a lot better. And so I still don't think even on paper, you go, you've got to at least pull off one to two games here. I still picked Boston. I believe I picked Boston in six. I was like, Joel's got to have at least a couple nights where he wills this team to victory. I was wrong. I was completely wrong. And I, I just feel for the guy completely. And we're going to get into obviously what we think the future holds, but I want, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Dust. Yeah, this is honestly, I love the uh, the scenario you gave with like them taking players based on 2K ratings. And this is the absolute worst upcoming free agent offseason to have that mindset. Because when you look at the list of unrestricted free agents, the top list is Paul Millsap, Hassan Whiteside, Marcus All, and um, Sergio Ibaka. So we got two more centers and a power forward. Winner, so winner, chicken dinner. Hopefully they don't load up on there. Um, I know Gallinari from OKC, who's been somewhat injury prone, a little bit older. He's a free agent, so that might be an option for them to look. Um, he's on a massive deal right now, making about $20 million a year now. But I think after this offseason, he probably makes a little bit less. Supposedly Lonzo Ball is going to be available for trade this offseason. How do you like that fit in Philly with him? Um. I feel like the I don't it just depends like what they would give up because I feel like Simmons and Lonzo are somewhat similar at this point. I think Lonzo has a better jump shot, but it's still not great. So if you're gonna make that move, 
you're gonna like if you're gonna get Lonzo, you're probably gonna get rid of Ben Simmons because I still think with Lonzo you need more shooting. I think you need probably a little less shooting than, than with Simmons because Lonzo can somewhat set up his own jump shot. But Lonzo's also really good in transition. He's such a good passer like Ben Simmons. So it's not like the best fit, I think, for them. But if they do that, I think they'd probably most likely move on from Simmons. But it's just it's a bad time for them to need shooters because there's just a not a lot in this class. You have Gallinari. And then besides that, everybody else is like veteran guys to come off your bench. If you're going to get a guy like your boy, um, Tim Hardaway Jr. Actually, he has a player option, so he's not going to turn down $17 million. Man, that's a joke. 17 for Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, but then you have guys like Jeff T, right? You have Evan Fournier. You have Goran Dragic. These are veteran players, but that's not what Philly needs. Like Philly needs a superstar scoring offensive threat. Next year, there's going to be a bunch of those guys with Victor Oladipo and a variety of players, but this year it's just not a great class. And so they're going to have to make a move. They're going to have to blow it up. I think to your point, everything at this point is probably looking like Embiid's going to be the guy just because the one thing at least you have with Embiid, and, I, and I'm a huge Ben Simmons guy, but the one thing you do have with Embiid is he's a guy that he can give you 25 and 10 every night, and so you at least have that. You have the stability where he's an elite offensive talent. He can pretty much do everything on the court, especially once you get past half court where he can hit the three. He has a really great low post game, and he's a great dominant threat defensively. So, yeah, they're going to have to make a move. It's just – it's kind of a it's, – it's a bad free agent class for them, and it's a bummer because when you look at the East – if they just would have handled the draft better, they'd be so dominant right now. Like, you have to be kicking yourself. You passed on Tatum. You traded up to not take Tatum. You traded to the first pick and didn't take Tatum. Like, how? That's as bad as the Suns not taking Luka. It's bad. You put Jason Tatum on that Sixers roster... They might not win this year because they're so young, but they're the they're the next OKC. Simmons, Tatum, and Embiid. Yeah, you can't say that, Joel. Well, even even taking Simmons out of the equation, but if you have Simmons in that case, then you can't. You it would be hard to argue, knowing what we know about Jason Tatum now, that that Sixers team would be any less productive than this current Celtics team. So. I mean, I, I just having Jason Tatum on that squad with Embiid because I think Embiid's a better overall player than Jalen Brown. So it's like that matchup there. Then the third best player, you have Kemba and Simmons. I would take Kemba over Simmons, but still you have you have three guys right there where I go, Philly would be would be dominant. Like they might not win the chip, but with Jason Tatum, they're they're definitely at least making a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, so I'm going to start my conspiracy theory right now. I think Simmons ends up on Golden State next year. And I think that... What do you think that? What do you think the package is? Hmm. I mean, the funny thing is if you're Philly, you're trying to ship out pretty much everyone but Embiid because Horford and Harris's contracts are so bad. But when you're Golden State, you just don't have that much cap room because obviously you're getting Simmons. He's making a good amount of money. You already have Steph. You have Clay, You have Draymond. So... It's for sure the second And pick. Wiggins. And Wiggins, right. So it's for sure the second pick and Wiggins, which will kind of be like full circle because the Sixers almost took Wiggins over Embiid, 
which at least they've got that pick right because they've messed up every other pick when they took Okafor and Foles and the plevia of players they've had one through five the past 10 years. So it's going to be Wiggins in the second. I could see possibly Draymond, but it's just not a good fit for them. Like if you're the Sixers, so then next year you're bringing out Embiid, Draymond, Horford, and Tobias Harris. You're basically saying, I like Green more than Simmons. And then you get Wiggins, but Wiggins isn't a shooter. He's another athletic guy that the Sixers don't need. So he's young. He's defensive. He's not a guy you have to put your offense around. So at least you're getting a talented guy in his mid-20s who can defend at an elite level. He can drive. But then when you look at this draft, who do they take with a second pick? It has to be LaMelo because they can't they can't take another center. Like, could you imagine if they take the kid from Memphis? It's James Wiseman, um, who's a super talented kid from Memphis, only played like eight games, but has like elite potential. Like Anthony Davis wingspan, can shoot the three, pretty athletic. But if they draft him and then they have Embiid and Horford and Harris and Draymond Green, they could legit start five centers. And it wouldn't shock me. LeVar Ball might pull what Eli Manning's dad, Archie Manning, did when he said that he's not going to play for the Chargers and that you have to you have to trade him to another team. If LaMelo goes to Philly, I couldn't think of a worse fit because even though LaMelo's more of a true point guard than Ben Simmons is, to me at this stage, yeah, he's a better shooter, of course, than Ben Simmons, but his jump shot really concerns me. If you've ever watched Melo play, it's very concerning. He shoots with two hands, like he pushes the ball like he's in middle school. It's very odd. I don't know what it is. Even though the ball players, like I like Lonzo, I still do, and Melo seems to be very talented, something about LaVar's inability to, to coach a jump shot is just baffling to me. And then I look at LaMelo's game, and even though – He's, he is a great passer at this stage. I just don't see how he fully fits into that and meshes with that squad. And if Anthony Edwards doesn't go number one, then maybe you get a guy like Anthony Edwards. But outside of those three guys, you're not going to give up Ben Simmons if you don't get LaMelo or Anthony Edwards. Like to your point, you're not going to draft James Wiseman. That would make no sense. So to me... You would have to know surefire that you're getting the guy you want. And again, I'm not really confident in the Sixers front office drafting the right guy. Like I could see them drafting LaMelo Ball, not because they're being strategic about the schematic fit. They're drafting him because of the brand, the 2K rating. They need to bring back Sam Hinkie and restart the process. I feel so bad for that guy. That guy was one year yes. away from everything hitting. They fire him, trade away all the good people, and then take folds. Like, I guarantee you Sam Hinkie's taking Jason Tatum because he comes from the Houston tree, and they're all about length and three-point shooting. There's no way he butchers that like the Sixers did. Yeah, I don't know. I think the weird thing about the draft is from, like, the, the point you made on LeVar not wanting them to go to Philly – the other markets just aren't great because the only reason LeVar would want 
Lamelo to go to Charlotte at number third is just if he thinks he has a shot of playing MJ one on one. Like that would be the only reason, so he can fly down there and play MJ one on one. But besides that, he doesn't want his boy going to Charlotte, Chicago. He would be a focal point in Charlotte. He would be the focal point. That's the thing. But um, no, I get that. I Lavar seemed like he's so like big city. Like the big reason he wanted his boys in LA because it was like the LA culture. So Philadelphia is a bigger market than Charlotte. Chicago's a big market, but. They're pretty anemic. And then you look at Cleveland. You definitely don't want your boy going to Cleveland. And then Atlanta has Trey Young. So he's not going to be a star there. That's Trey's team 100%. That would be a, the probably the weirdest backcourt in NBA history. Trey Young and LaMelo Ball. Just every possession pull up from 40 feet. Like that's their half-court offense. Their half-court <laughs> offense is not getting the ball in the paint. Like you can't shoot outside of the three-point line. They'd have to make a four-point line for that offense. Detroit at seven. I know you said it. There was rumors out there that Detroit may be trying to team up Lamelo and Lonzo, so that would be interesting. And then New York was the destination, but but why? I don't understand that fit. Like they're both point guards. They're both ball dominant point guards. Why would are you, are you just acquiring both of them because they're brothers? Like I don't understand that fit at all. Trying to sell tickets, I bet Detroit basketball's been down since what Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton. Those Detroit teams were fun, man. Those Great Detroit teams. teams were nasty, gritty, really fun teams. And Detroit's kind of been a disaster since that. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. But just a bad time to rebuild, rebuild via the draft or free agency. And so I really don't know what Philly looks like next year. So another bad situation is Earl Thomas and what took place over really the last few days. So if you aren't Familiar, we'll catch you up to speed. So he got in an altercation with a teammate in practice and finds himself now a free agent. And so what's what's really sad to me is you have a guy that has been one of, if not the best safety in football for the last seven years. And he goes to Baltimore, Seattle, refused to pay him. You know, we remember the infamous moment when he he gets injured two seasons ago, flips off the Seattle Seahawks sidelines, basically insinuating, I've wanted to stay here. I've tried to get a long-term contract and you wouldn't pay me. And now I'm hurt and I'm not going to get paid. Well, he ended up getting paid with the Baltimore Ravens last offseason. It was one of their, their prized offseason acquisitions, if not their biggest. And a year later, he finds himself on the open market again. And what's interesting is that you have two first-class organizations in the Seattle Seahawks and the Baltimore Ravens. Both franchises, even though Seattle only has one Super Bowl, the Ravens have two. They're smaller. Baltimore is definitely a smaller market. Seattle, I know, is, is a little bit bigger, but you don't really think of Seattle as a, as a huge sports town, right? They lost the Sonics. They are now just getting a hockey team. And when you look at the Mariners, they've never won a World Series. So they've had some talented players, of course, Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez. But largely, Seattle sports is not a big deal, right? Unless you're from Seattle. And so when I look at this situation, there's got to be something deeper. There's, there's something below the surface that's going on because you're not talking about the Cleveland, in, or the Cleveland Browns or the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Detroit Lions the lower dysfunctional franchises of the NFL, we're talking about two first-class organizations and they both passed, right? So I know Seattle, he was there for quite a bit, but 
he got to a point in his career where they didn't feel like he was worth the money, not because he wasn't talented. He's obviously very talented, but because there was something about him that didn't fit in their culture, right? Then you have the Baltimore Ravens where with Earl Thomas on that defense, they just got Clayus Campbell. You have Marcus Peters. I mean, this, this defense is stacked and you're going to let them walk. And it just seems like you don't, I mean, this type of stuff happens all the time in the NFL. There's there's scuffles every single practice. There's fights that break out constantly. There's jawing back and forth. So it's not it's not abnormal for these types of situations to occur. However, for this type of situation to occur, and then he gets released two days later, is very odd to me. It's very perplexing because I don't think that the Baltimore Ravens are looking at a guy like Earl Thomas as somebody who isn't worth trying to fix or mend this type of situation, right? Because he's great. He just is. He's a great player. And I don't know what's going on. There was some weird stuff in the offseason that happened with his brother and his wife. Um, and which actually I think happened at the end of last season before their playoff game against Tennessee. And I won't get into the details of that because it's probably not appropriate for the show. Super Smash Bros or what? <laughs> it's not appropriate for the show. But, you know, I, I look at even this 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 current situation with, with safety Chuck Clark. It's like, I mean, who is Chuck Clark, right? And it's like you're getting you're getting into a spat with a guy that you don't need to be getting into a spat with. You should be a leader on this team. These types of situations shouldn't get out of hand from your standpoint. You need to learn to navigate this situation effectively as a leader. And obviously he didn't. So there's something going on, whether it's personally with Earl Thomas, mentally with him, I don't know, but there's something off about this behavior. And so I am very interested to see where he goes. Supposedly my Dallas Cowboys are the front runners to sign him. However, it concerns me because I already feel like our culture within the locker room isn't the best. You bring in a guy like Mike McCarthy to establish a great culture, a winning culture. And then if you bring in somebody like that, that becomes toxic to the locker room, it doesn't matter how talented he is. We've seen this time and time again. This is such a cliche storyline in the world of sports where you bring in a really talented guy, but he's a toxic personality in the locker room, i.e. Terrell Owens. And it doesn't matter. You you can't, that cancerous personality cannot be overridden by the talent. And that, that would be my concern with that. Now, if I knew he was healthy mentally or, or personally, whatever he's dealing with, if I knew that he was right and he was ready to just ball out, that I'm ready, I'm ready to bring him to Dallas. But I just think there's something deeper here. There has to be more to come from the story. Like it, it can't just be the fight at practice. It has to be stemming back to, like you mentioned, the things that happened during the playoffs, during the offseason. It also seemed like a lot of players want to get paid, but the way Earl Thomas handled the situation with Seattle, and I'm not just talking about giving Pete Carroll the bird, like how vocal he was about it throughout the whole season and being disrespectful it was really toxic. And like you look at what happened with Jamal Adams and the situation getting him out of the Jets. And Thomas was vocal like after a Seahawks game about his 
dissatisfaction with the organization. This wasn't, you know, preseason stuff. This was after every single football game. And so you look at how demonstrative he is. He's also 31 years old. So when you look at the Jamal Adams thing, you're going to give a guy a little bit more leeway when you think this guy could have, you know, five to eight more years of prime football worth old Thomas. You signed under the four-year contract. He's going to have three years left, including this year. So maybe one more dominant year, maybe he tails off. But there just has to be more because you look at this Baltimore Ravens team and on paper, you have to say they're one of the three to five best teams in the AFC. Like they have potential to have a deep playoff run. Offensively, Lamar is going to have to do more passing the football this year. He's going to have to develop more into a passer. But they, besides the Niners, they probably have the deepest roster in football. But you know someone's going to sign Old Thomas because he's so talented. To your point... The Cowboys obviously freed up all of that money with the Gerald McCoy situation. And so they could potentially sign him to a one-year prove-it deal for 10 to $15 million. The other dark horse team is the 49ers. If he goes to the 49ers... Teaming back up with Richard Sherman? If he goes back to the 49ers and they can't win a chip, Kyle Shanahan is playoff P. Well, and I remember... I love Kyle Shanahan. (laughs) I remember back in 2017 when uh, the Seahawks played the Cowboys, and after the game, Earl Thomas ran down Jason Garrett after the game and said, if you want me, come and get me. That was in 2017, okay? So that was two years prior to his departure. And so, look, I'm all for advocating for the players. I'm all for them getting paid if they deserve it. But I just, I can't honor when players go behind their franchises back. Look, this team gave you an opportunity to come into the league to be a professional. And I understand that there are situations where organizations don't take care of their players and they go behind their backs. And look, I would condone the player wanting to demand a trade in that scenario, right? We saw the dysfunction happen in Jacksonville with Jalen Ramsey. I have no problem with him demanding a trade because I don't feel like Jacksonville handled that situation properly. And I look at Earl Thomas and that's not the case. Seattle is a first-class organization. Pete Carroll is a first-class head coach. So there's something more here. There's more to, I believe, to come out from this story, but we'll have to wait. So get your popcorn ready. That's going to wrap things up for episode 31 of the DNC podcast. Again, rate, review, subscribe to the pod, share it with friends and family. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DNC podcast. Drop in the inbox. Let us know some topic ideas you might have. We appreciate the support so much. We'll see you guys Friday.